Pilot TV podcast this week, we're joining Luke Evans in the hunt for a Welsh serial killer in ITV's The Pembrokeshire Murders, finding out how baby Jericho's holding up in season two of Servant on Apple TV+, and watching Rosario Dawson unravel a mystery on Alibi as Briarpatch makes its belated debut on UK screens. All that, and we also find out how a tumble down the stairs causes Keely Hawes to uncover a cache of secrets in Finding Alice on ITV. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly a la carte selection of quality television programming. Joining me at the chef's table this week are two televisual gastronomes of no small renown. Uh, first up, a man whose typical amuse-bouche is an I'm a celebrity souffle served in a Seinfeld ganache. It's Mr. <laughs> Boyd Hilton. <laughs> How are you, Boyd? That's great. That is, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, that is a delicious and accurate recipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That I'm is a celebrity me. with a bit of Seinfeld sort of drizzled over the top in a kind of jus. <laughs> a jus. <laughs> a jus jus. Yeah, yes. Sorry. That's, that's, <laughs> I can say that, everyone. I am Jewish. Don't, yes. don't worry. <laughs> well, this has gone off the rails very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, unfortunately, our regular sous chef, Terry White, has a week off. But but joining us in her stead is a woman who has similarly little time for my Expanse and Battlestar Galactica nonsense. She's been away from the pod for far too long, but makes her <laughs> triumphant return today. She is, of course, Swindon's Reckoning and Netflix's environmental nemesis, Beth Webb. <laughs> Hello! That was a Hello, lovely um, lovely <laughs> intro. Thank you so much. I'd like to say I've been doing loads since uh, I was last on, but I really haven't. So it's just nice to be back. <laughs> what have you been oh. up to? How was Christmas? Christmas was good. Christmas was watching a lot of a lot of telly, catching up on a lot of the, the big shows from the year that I didn't get a chance to watch. So that was really fun. Um, I watched Adult Material, which just knocked the bloody wind out of me. Which was um, So that was great. I watched Devs, ate lots of food, drank lots of wine. And then came back to the uh, miserable shit show that is 2021. So <laughs> yeah, it's been quite special, hasn't it? Adult material that James wouldn't let us put in our top 20 of the year, by the way. Oh, hang saying. on, hang on. I do you know. It's not like I wouldn't let you. Like I don't have like a presidential veto. Well, I simply said it would not do. be in mine, <laughs> and thereby, by force of of, of sort of vote tallying democracy, it didn't mm, make the list. Yeah, well, yeah. that's yeah. disgusting. I found it a yeah. bit grim. It was good. It was very good, but it was a bit grim. Of course it's grim. Okay, good. Well, that that takes us quite neatly into what we have been watching. So, Beth, you've been watching lots of stuff over Christmas. Did you fall down the Bridgerton hole, as so many people seem to have done, and I have yet to do? I watched the first two episodes, so I, I was writing a piece this week about um, a recent trend in the sort of torment of rich people, which I think we're seeing lots and lots of, <laughs> if you think about your successions and your handmade tales. And I was watching Bridgerton and then The Great, which obviously you spoke about on the pod. Mm. Um, so I fell into it. I'm a bigger fan of The Great, I have to say, um, for one reason and one reason alone, and that is Nicholas Holt. Um, I'm just like, I feel like he's just been waiting for that, that role mm. to land in his lap. So a little bit of Bridgerton. I, I am going to come back to it. Um, I think there's a lot there, but... I mean, it'll be there for ages. People are obsessed with that show. So I think I'm all right just to put a little stopper in that for now. Um, so a little bit of Bridgerton, a lot of the great, but also because we're going into this this new level of hell, I was like, how can I, how can I make this better? So I'm rectifying a few blind spots. So this week I have watched two first episodes of two, I'll, I'll call them relatively significant shows, but I watched the first episode of The X-Files, which I've never watched before. And oh then, my God. I know. <laughs> I know. And again, I'm I'm coming into this hands up, like I'm fully aware that I probably won't be allowed back on after this. But but first episode of The X Files and first episode of Bear Call Soul. So that's been my week. Oh, um, very good. Ah, interesting. It's been a big interesting. One. Yeah. The X Files is coming to Disney Plus, isn't it? Um It is Star. It, it, it's coming it, to Star. It's part of Star, yeah. Yeah. Oh really? Oh that makes yeah. my life a bit bit easier. Where did you watch it, Beth? On Amazon Prime or whatever? Uh yeah, yeah, I did. So yeah. that was the first yeah. episode for me and then Better Call Soul. Better Call Soul, actually, I went to a Netflix promotional event for I think it was the second season before I started writing for Empire and Chris was hosting it and um it was like Better Call Soul Bingo. And I want a, a better oh, crystal yeah. onesie, which I've still got. Um, so Chris, <laughs> best from the past, would like to thank you for her better crystal onesie. Chris thank Hewitt. You Chris Hewitt hosting a Better Call Saul bingo sounds like the greatest de moment of his life, possibly. <laughs> it, it does a little bit, doesn't it? Um, he was having a yeah. great time. 
I have yet to I have yet to get back to Better Call Saul. It is very much on my list. That's one of my resolutions for this year is to get through. There are a lot of shows on my to watch list which have been there for far far too long, mm. and I need to now get through it. And Better Call Saul is one that I really do mm. feel remiss that I stopped watching, having and only that's watched the first you do season. Rewatches of, of Game of Thrones and things like that. Unfortunately, Game of Thrones rewatch is also on my watch list. <laughs> oh fuck's sake! How many times have you watched it? <laughs> I, well, I meant to rewatch it all last year and didn't get around to it. So this year, I'm hoping to rewatch Game of Thrones at one point when I finish with the Vikings or you know the other things that I need to watch. So we'll see. Do you want to buy my? I've got one of those um, massive box set Game of Thrones um, Blu-ray <laughs> things with like a lavish recreation of the whole throne thing. It's co- I think it's cost about three hundred quid. Um, wow. So yeah, if you want that, I'll, I'll sell it to you for like two fifty. <laughs> Thank you, boy. <laughs> I've been meaning to get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that is that is very much on my list. So actually, Bridgerton is also on my on my list. Well, someone pitched it to me and said, "Oh, it's like it's like Downton Abbey meets Pornhub," and I was like, oh. is it? <laughs> I was like I, that, "That's a that is, weird that's pitch." A gossip guy, that's um, a good Pornhub. description. That's a good description. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are a few very talked about scenes that have uh, popped up on a lot of feminist websites, which is, I again a reason for me to come back to you later. I think in the colder months. <laughs> yeah, there is controversy about about Bridgerton. There is. Yeah, there's a whole very interesting storyline. <laughs> Shall we say mm-hmm. that involves a, a sexual techniques and um, avoidance of pregnancy? Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, more on that later. Have either of you watched Nick Cage's History of Swear Words? Not yet. I think I need to be drunk. Yeah, I watched the first um, like ten minutes of it, and um, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to save this till till I really want something absolutely <laughs> mad and funny yeah. to watch. Um, yeah. So I'm saving it up, but it does look absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I cannot wait to see it. I haven't got around to it yet, but it, it feels like that. If any show was made for me, Nick Cage talking yeah. about swear words is almost certainly it. Uh, so yeah. I'm very excited about that one. Boy, what else have you been on watching? the Netflix? On the Netflix. On the Netflix. Yes, on the Netflix. <laughs> Um, uh, I have been watching two things, really, which, um, I mean, apart from the extraordinary uh, political thriller in which thousands of marauding right-wing maniacs actually invaded the capital. Oh, you mean the unexpected new series of 24, which aired this week? Yes. 24 meets the West Wing meets, um, <laughs> what's that, you know, bring down the president? Or Designated what's that, what's that? survivor. Yeah, the Gerard Butler um, franchise. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, Olympus has fallen. Yeah. Yeah, Lim- the capital has fallen, which was which I watched live on the day it happened. Was it Wednesday? I think Wednesday, mm. yeah. It was it, the most incredible TV I've ever seen in my life. Um, Props to the ITV's coverage of oh, that, because yeah. that was unbelievable. Well, exactly, yeah. Which is And the incredible thing about you're absolutely right, Robert Moore, in fact, I wrote down his name, mm. the reporter who was embedded with the invading, marauding, right-wing fascist maniacs. And that he, their report was so incredible that CNN has been running it. So CNN has been relying yeah. on that ITN um, coverage for its own coverage because it didn't CNN didn't have the equivalent of one of their reporters kind of with the actual um, marauding lunatics so yeah you're, you're right that ITA, ITV, ITV footage was incredible but th- that was just an astonishing it was a TV event that will go down as a massive yeah. TV oh absolutely but event. what's weirdest for me is like bear in mind I've been immersed wholeheartedly in Vikings now for weeks so everywhere <laughs> I look I kind of see Vikings and then you turn on the TV <laughs> and there was literally a Viking invading the Capitol yeah. building and I'm like <laughs> is this real or do I need yeah. to stop watching Amazon Prime? Like, yeah. I'm confused. Yeah, no, he's a QAnon Viking. Yeah, you're famous, apparently famous QAnon, QAnon Viking twat. A massive canoe. Apart from yes. that, yeah, exactly. Apart from that, there's two things. One of which is you would discount as being not part of our remit and you, oh, you'd probably try and edit it I'm out. Preparing, I'm evil. preparing the reality so, check alarm. Yeah, gird your loins. Um, oh the other one is, is, is staged. So staged, which I mentioned last week, um, when we're doing kind of any other business, started on BBC One this week. They're running it on Mondays and Tuesdays at 9.45. It's these, this is the second series of the Michael Sheen, David Tennant, um, filmed on Zoom series, which is mm. the greatest mm. of all the filmed on Zoom series ever anywhere in the world. It's the one that is absolute joy to watch. It's them playing exaggerated versions of themselves. In series one, the idea was that they were um, rehearsing a play together via Zoom and getting interrupted by their respective partners who are playing by them at their actual selves so their real life uh, David Tennant's real life wife Georgia plays herself and Michael Sheen's real life girlfriend plays herself it's quite daring and bold and they're filmed on Zoom in their own residences etc um, series 2 is even more 
um, outrageously self-referential and postmodern because it begins with Roma Shrag and Nathan interviewing them in a fake TV show about how they've created a show called Staged in which they play exaggerated versions of themselves. So the whole show <laughs> is now part of the fictional universe of the show. And series two revolves around the idea that they're doing an American remake of it, but with more famous people because they're not famous enough. So Hugh Grant and Colin Firth are going to play David Tennant and Michael oh Sheen God. in the American version, which is set up in the first episode by Whoopi Goldberg, who's the agent of one of them, but she can't remember which. Oh my anyway, gosh. it's incredibly, it sounds very smug and clever, clever, too clever, it's so good, but it's actually, it's so enjoyable because they are real life friends and real life, very funny, lovely, engaging people, Michael Sheen and David Tennant. So it just works on that level. And it's really funny and, um, and, and about the egomaniac nature of performing and acting. Um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost pop up in I think it's episode three and that is an incredible yeah. episode um, so yeah I've, been, I've watched all of that um, it's all on iPlayer and it's going out live on Mondays and Tuesdays at 9.45 and the the, the the one that you're going to be really annoyed about but it is part of my obsession with The Chase so there's The Chase right which is the daytime five o'clock ITV quiz show the greatest I watch it with show. my grandma over Christmas usually oh. It's good, isn't it, Beth? Yeah. Well, Beat the Chasers has been running all this week, and that's the primetime nine o'clock ITV spin-off version in which members of the public beat, try to take on all the chasers together, all these quiz ma- quiz quiz geniuses. And it is such a brilliant format. It's incredible. It's the most riveting quiz show format, brilliantly hosted by Bradley Walsh. He's a, he's a legend, and I love it. Beat the Chasers, can't beat it. So they're the things I've been watching. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the expression on James's face of disdain <laughs> I cannot <cannot't>, honestly <laughs> exaggerated. <laughs> I can't even. But uh, I, I mean, I, we we record this now on Friday, having recorded the previous episode on Monday. So there haven't actually been that many days in between. I have obviously just been watching a lot of Vikings. That's been happening. I am now. Obviously. I think. I think six episodes from the end. I have a mere six hours of, you know, woad-smeared Norse axe-swinging left until I'm done. So that's pretty exciting. But I haven't just been watching Vikings. I've also now seen the Discovery finale, the final episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery. And I, unfortunately, am forced to remain in the slight sceptic camp. I'm not impressed particularly with season three i don't think it's terrible but it's very middle of the road and the quality has been a bit up and down and sadly the finale didn't really redeem it i have an awful lot of niggles that i will not mention because obviously not everyone will have seen it at this point but um yes let us hope they do something slightly more interesting with season four Beth's like yeah absolutely i couldn't stand season three i'm just enjoying season two like was the pain in your voice right now the disappointment <laughs> it's like a tonic for me <laughs> i know how do you think i felt when we did our top 20 of uh, of 2020 and neither star trek show made that list at all and that's you know that's a that's a travesty it's like your home team just just losing abominably in a in a big match. Says the girl mm. who never watches football. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah, I yeah. do. However, I do have a thing, and we didn't put the expanse on the end of year list mainly because neither you nor Terry would have voted for it at all. However, well, it barely just started as well, and it had fair. barely started. It had barely started. But I watched the most recent episode of that uh, as well this week, and oh my god, it is so good! Like I am much preferring season five to season four. Season four was great, but and it was more accessible for you know you newbies because it took place on a little planet but this one with all the sort of disparate cast members doing their own things is really really compelling uh it's just yeah this is this is this is my favorite show on tv at the moment hands down that should come as no surprise to anyone but the expanse (laughs) and that's it that's all i've been watching this week i got an email this morning telling me that picard series one is coming out on um on uh, dvd etc um, on the 20th of January. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that? I imagine they'll send you some lavish Picard yeah. gift set with like yeah. a full uniform and like a spaceship and, <laughs> and I'll get, you know, nothing. Yeah. That, that would be a about right. A life size model of yeah, Jean-Luc absolutely. Picard. Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. I hope so. Unbelievable. Cake or something. Probably come brought to you by like a Romulan warrior nun. Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, 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 that is what we have been watching. So let's move on now to this week's listener question. And this week's listener question is aimed specifically at Boyd. Uh, This (laughs) comes from John Morgan, and he asks, 
What are the greatest uses of flashbacks in TV series? Obviously, Boyd's favourite narrative device of all time. Um, now, this, I think John Morgan was prompted to ask this after having watched the West Wing Season 2 opener, uh, which begins with some lovely, lovely, lovely flashbacks to when, you know, all the, the various members of the White House administration before they joined the administration. Uh, it's a great episode. I highly recommend it. But, yes, yeah, so let's talk flashbacks. Boyd, since this is your favourite yes. thing, tell us yes. about your favourite flashbacks. <laughs> Well, the funny thing about my new reputation as as as, as an objector, objector to the flashback format it is it, what, what I object to, as as regular listeners will know, is when it's become an absolute TV, a peak TV narrative yeah. cliche. That you start in the middle. We start with a big spectacular thing in the middle of the story to mm. entice people in, and then you flash back three months, three years, ten years, five decades earlier. That is that is all I object to. <laughs> I'm absolutely fine with flashbacks generally as a narrative device. In fact, thinking about the when when you sent us this question, I was thinking a lot of my very very favourite episodes of TV shows are flashback episodes. I'm thinking of so like Twin Peaks: The Return. Episode eight, the famous episode eight, which um, flashes back to uh, an atomic bomb going off. In Did the- it flash back to when the show was good at any point? Shut or, up. Uh, or not? I mean, you're just wrong. Have we had that discussion about Twin Peaks? Return? I'm sure you I have. Oh my God, hate Twin Peaks so many times. If we have not air, we've had it like 20 yeah. times off. Yeah. Well, anyway, I won't have a word said against it. Fucking love it. But the, the absolute masterpiece of an episode is episode eight, one of the greatest hours of TV in history, which is a flashback episode two to the 40s when an atomic bomb went off and they're testing the atomic bomb. And then it goes, filmed in black and white, um, incredible piece of David Lynch directing. And it is an astonishing kind of semi-standalone, but not really flashback thing to, which also kind of was like a reinterpretation of the finale of 2001. And, you know, like massive, epic, long think pieces have been written about it. But that is one of the greatest things ever. Also, um, shows like there are shows like um, The Haunting of Hill House, for example, series, you know, the first series of The Haunting, mm. not, not Blind Manor, which into, which wove flashbacks into its structure. Um, and I think there were like three, at least three major timelines. Um, and that I loved. I loved the way that wove flashbacks into its into its whole kind of the DNA of the show was all about the storytelling was all about flashing back yeah. and the different the different um, learning different things about the characters as it went on and that was done brilliantly similarly sharp objects I loved the way that wove in like quite shocking little flashbacks mm. constantly throughout the whole story um showing you glimpses of of kind of horrific things that happened in the past to the major to the main character um, and then the biggest one of course happens in the end credits of the final episode and yes. loads of people missed it <laughs> yeah the famous flash, exactly revelation in in the middle of the yeah. credits of the closing titles absolutely brilliant. i hate it when that happens like genuinely because <laughs> the walking dead does it okay who sits through the end credits of tv shows generally like no one yeah no. and the walking dead used to do it like if they do it consistently that's fine but the walking dead would do it every now and then and then sharp objects hadn't done it at any point and then did it in the final episode and then the second season of the mandalorian did it in the final episode as well it's like for god's sake give us warning <laughs> yeah 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 i guess they think it was spread by word of mouth don't they which i think it generally does um the leftovers has some absolutely brilliant um use of flashbacks i mean season two opener <laughs> yeah season two opener incredible yeah flashback to, that's quite to what the was flashback it, um, quite the flashback yeah so i like the was massive and the OA I mean I won't bang on but the OA kind of has a massive that really in episode one when it re- waits for the title sequence to arrive after I think it's 72 minutes <laughs> that's because there's the flashback yeah. to the incredible Russian um, youth of of the OA um, so I love those flashback things yeah uh, f- worst so Westworld season one has a brilliant flashback slash twist, which yeah. I guess there are still people out there who won't have watched the Westworld, Westworld season one, so we don't we won't spoil it. But that use of flashback was incredible. Yes. And I thought quite groundbreaking and brilliant. From then on, season two was a fucking mess of flashbacks <laughs> and timelines. Yeah. Uh, it was so annoying and irritating. I wanted to kick the TV in. Um, and famously Lost. So Lost is the ultimate mm. example of a show that mm. absolutely relied on flashbacks because it totally ran out of story to tell it caused stories to tell and i think it's in season three when there's an episode about jack's tattoos do you remember this any lost um, viewers remember this <laughs> i we, actually we do exp- remember this explained how jack got his <laughs> tattoos and the incredible thing was you, you as you're watching you think oh this is going to have incredible relevance these tattoos to the <laughs> rest of the story it didn't it was literally yeah. this, uh, this is the meaning of his fucking tattoos that's it it's over we yeah. have no more ideas I mean- we've run out 
Incredible. And famously, I think it went down so badly um, and was generally regarded as a complete pathetic waste of time yeah. that they, they it almost forced the network and the makers to to, to confirm they were finishing the series after six <laughs> seasons because people were so outraged and annoyed by the use of flashbacks in that episode. So learned about the tattoos replaces jump the shark in this particular yeah, metaphor. Exactly. See, but that's a very particular device, isn't it? That kind of narrative contained narrative almost sort of framed narrative flashback sequence which yeah. which uh, lost is very famous for orange is the new black started out being very famous for that as yeah. well away uses it as well where you have a central narrative driving the story but each episode does a flashback and that becomes at least half of if not more of the substance of the episode that is whereas the cold open is your kryptonite mine is that yeah. i fucking hate that device and i hate that they used it in the stand because as i said last week and i've said many many times i clearly can't multitask and i kind of have two <laughs> stories in my head at the same time but i'm like <laughs> i want to know what happens in story a and you are wasting my time by making me watch mm. all this shit i don't care about yeah. like just drive the story for the love of god um it's it's far too upsetting but Alias, I think yeah, Alias, I, I mean, was was very and, and so many shows sort of before the peak TV era, I think, uh, used that cold open thing that you hate, and it almost became a very common grammar. In like Alias, almost almost always opened with her in mission, didn't it? And yeah. then it kicked back, and you 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 know slow down after the after the title sequence. So I think it, it, it's a fairly common device, but I, I know it feels much more of a trope now when it's used. It just I kind of I find myself rolling my eyes whenever it's done. I, I mean, I generally hate a flashback. I used to hate a flashback. I think all of the examples that boy but on a, a very good examples of how that trope has become better with some exceptions. I'm thinking of that show Away that came out last year with Hilary mm, Swank in yeah. it and a really lazy like idea of, oh, just whack a fringe on her. Whack a fringe on her, and uh, and and that's Hillary Swank twenty years ago, whatever uh, it is. The flashback fringe, famously. <laughs> I mean, I'm living in flashback now, um, <laughs> but um, an example I wanted to bring up was Buffy, which just when it splintered off into two very different scenarios, where the Spike flashbacks were always incredible, and then the Angel flashbacks would like the epitome of what I hate about a flashback, which is bad wigs, bad lighting. <laughs> In this and a instance, I'm Angelus, no Irish. Oh, to be, I mean, I won't do justice, justice to uh, Helen and Chris, but yeah, terrible accent here. Invariably terrible casting if it's like young actors. I'm thinking of the Charlie flashback in Lost. Uh, that was just a really weird case of like child casting that didn't make a lot of sense. But yeah, away, away was a recent example which which could have been yeah. a little bit better. So flashback fringes are clearly a thing, but also the flashbacks <laughs> in fringe, I would say, are worth noting. So uh, one of the best that was episodes, a if not the segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, I thought I, I was proud of that transition. Liquid podcasting, uh, that was. Uh, so yeah, so there's the episode Peter. Where, which is a, a seminal episode of that show. It's one of the most seismic where you kind of find out that everything you thought you knew is wrong. And it's a, it's a real rug pull episode. And that's a flashback one. That is incredible stuff. Uh, and while we're on the subject of that kind of tone, flash forward rather than flashback did have flashbacks in it. In fact, it had flashbacks to the flash forward, which is ever so slightly confusing. That was the one where it had Donnie Monaghan and Joseph Fiennes and John Cho in it. And Jack Davenport as well. Everyone had fallen unconscious and their consciousnesses had flashed forward in time. And then they came back and then they had to deal with their lives knowing they'd had this glimpse of the future. And so you had flashbacks to the flash forward and then flash forwards to the fa Anyway, uh, only had one season. Hard to imagine why. That was the ABC. That was the show that literally was like, right, we've done Lost, which yeah. has been a massive thing. And mm. we're going to do something. <laughs> yeah equally high concept and wild and everyone's going to love it and no one loved it because it was so complicated. Based on a book which I'd read actually. Yeah, it's a Robert oh. J. Sawyer book um, which I, I can't remember I'd read that years ago. What other flashbacky type things? I'm found, I don't know this boy but I have heard there is good use of flashback in La Casa du Papel. <laughs> Oh yeah, that is true. Yeah, the whole—I mean, essentially, that's that's a show. Like Esther Papel, Money Heist <laughs> is a show that is in completely all about flashbacks. Yeah, so it starts with the the because it's about this massive heist where all these characters come together and rob a uh, rob a huge. Um, Place in Spain, and the, and within the first episode, your sh the robbery is shown, but it's all about how these characters come together and who's sort of organising them, and um, all their different backstories. But that be again, because that is woven into the whole format of the show, I think it's fine. I think it works really well mm. in that in that context. Yeah, it's a bit like um, the Missing, you know, the Missing, the the yeah. um, BBC One yeah. show anthology show that that has a brilliant that is entirely that's literally like the whole the whole point of that show is the flashback structure and um and and i think it works yeah but like i said is a very good example yeah. 
But it is true, isn't it? Like it can work really well. There's nothing wrong with playing with chronology. I actually no, no, think no. it's a great device if used well. It's when you kind of throw it in when it's not needed or keep throwing it in. And I just think it should have a reason for it. Like I don't think it should ever be, this would be cool. Like it should be a legitimate storytelling device. Yeah. Transparent was a really good example as well, where they chat back to 1930s uh, Berlin with Grandma Rose. And that brings you back to the current day. That was one of those devices where I actually didn't know where it was going to end up. And then it ties up really neatly and it's got a really nice emotional payoff as well and it's got harry neff in it as well who i adore so that was a that was a good example of a a flashback from a different time where you don't think it's related to the current day and then it is suddenly and i thought that was really lovely and do you remember that series the cry with jenna coleman um quite recent (laughs) where that had like seven eight nine maybe um flashback like to different timelines that it, it were intercut for between them from the beginning you'd see her in you know in different situations that were all at different times it was about what happened to her and her baby the mysterious disappearance of her baby um and that what that literally was founded on flashbacks and, and was, was was great from that point of view it worked really well uh, Boomtown, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, season one of that was entirely flashback based. It had that Rashomon type unreliable narrator thing where you'd see it from different people's points of view. That worked quite well. I always enjoyed the flashbacks in Highlander, uh, Highlander the series, where obviously it would be Duncan McLeod in the present day, but he'd he'd stumble across someone or something that would make him think about his past and he'd look up and get all wistful <laughs> and suddenly we'd flash back to him in a kilt hundreds of years ago, like wandering around the Highlands and you'd learn a little bit more about something that happened in his past and I always quite enjoyed that particular device. Veronica Mars season one was quite flashback heavy because obviously it was about that mystery and it was her piecing together the parts of how uh, Amanda Seyfried's character had died. So that worked very well. West Wing's done this a few times. Young Jed in two cathedrals. That's a lovely, it's a lovely device and that's a fantastic episode of that show. If Terry were here, she would mention the Friends episode, I'm sure, anything with Fat Monica in it, but I imagine the one with the prom <laughs> in particular is a, is a glorious bit of flashback work, so I like that an awful lot. And also, because, you know, I have to mention Battlestar Galactica, there's an episode of that called Unfinished Business, which uses flashback extremely well. It all happens in the uh, in the sort of wake of all the new Caprica stuff, and it takes place during what they call the dance, which is a boxing match which happens on the ship where everyone can basically beat the shit out of each other to kind of get tension out and settle old grudges. And it flashes back to things that happened on new Caprica that we as a viewer didn't know about, which explains an awful lot of the tensions between some of the characters since then. And it's an incredible episode. There's actually an extended cut of it on the DVD. It's great. Yeah, it's 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 a really really good episode of that show i keep i keep remembering once now i do remember the um sherlock episode in series three the middle episode the sign of three which is about where um watson and mary get married and the whole thing is um sherlock doing his best man speech and the whole thing is him flushing back to a like um there his attempt um with watson to have like a celebratory boys night out before like a stag do basically <laughs> which is the best stag do ever um and then there's the whole mystery of there's someone there who shouldn't be there etc that is all entirely unfolds in flashback as he's doing this best man's speech and trying to work out what's going on that i love that episode much more line some people hate the episode um but i fucking love it i think it summed up how, how brilliantly daring sherlock was obviously counterpart i watched last year one of the best episodes of counterpart is a flashback one where you learn how the crossing came into being. I think it's always nice when they're able to do that, when they're able to sort of bring something sort of significant, something massive, and it also provides a nice change of perspective and change of pace. It worked really well in that. Any more for any more? No? Excellent. Okay, John. Well, I hope that answered your question. If you have a question for the Pilot TV podcast, and it is a new year, so frankly, have new questions, uh, (laughs) do feel free to send them to us via direct message at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter or to me at James C. Dyer on Twitter or Instagram. Time now for a very quick break, but we'll be back after this message from our sponsor. Right, shall we have this week's TV news? What's been happening in the world of the small screen, Boyd? 
Um, there isn't much, is there? I don't think. But I, um, I've noticed, seen a couple of things. One is one of our, one of my favourite so bad it's good shows of last year, Prodigal Son. We, we should have had a whole special <laughs> section. I, I realise in in the um, end of series, end of year podcast about the the best kind of bad TV. Um, and this one, Prodigal Son, remember, was the show with Michael Sheen as a serial killer, and his son played by what was his name? Tom Payne was an FBI profiler. And yes. his mad sister's reporter on serial killers. <laughs> and they're all the whole family is involved in serial killing, one way or another. And it was brilliantly hilarious. It was kind of like a procedure because every week the FBI profiler um has a new serial killer to find. There's so many serial killers, literally like one a week. And he re- and he goes and sees his dad, Michael Sheen, in prison, Hannibal Lecter star to check out, you know, what his dad thinks he should do in the case, who because he he's actually is a serial killer. Well, in season two, Catherine Zeta Jones is gonna join the madness as a psychiatrist who is treating Michael Sheen's character and apparently she's going to be really horrible to him gratuitously in the new season. Just the idea is perfect. Catherine Zeta jones there's something about that casting, joining this mad, insane kitsch show for season two. I'm very much looking forward to that. And apparently season two arrives in America. It's a Fox show like in January, quite soon. So presumably it'll be on Sky Witness um, not long after that, one one more time. We like that. See, it was one of these things where there was something about that, yeah. even though I don't like a procedural show, that it was really, really fun. It was inc- It's incredible fun. Yeah. yeah. If you want a really good time, load of old absolute nonsense, um, <laughs> Prodigal Son <laughs> is my recommendation. Yeah. Oh, that's a good shout. The, uh, you will, of course, recall that Jeremy Bullock, who played Boba Fett in uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, died in December at the age of 75. Well, if you watch uh, season two of The Mandalorian, the last episode is now dedicated it to the memory of Jeremy Bullock, which I thought was a nice addition, which wasn't on the original version, I don't think, when it first went out. Uh, but that's lovely. Um, and speaking of The Mandalorian... It's not really so much TV news, but it is kind of tangential. The Mandalorian's coming to Galaxy's Edge. So if you go to the Star Wars section of Disneyland slash Disney World, you could meet Mando himself and Baby Yoda. I mean, that's not going to happen because we're in lockdown and we're not allowed to leave the country, let alone go to fucking Disney World. But if we were able to do that, I mean, it's probably not even open. But if it was open, if we were allowed to travel, if holiday were even an option for us over the next few months, we could go and meet Mando and Grogu as they wander. Apparently, Bo-Katan and possibly Boba Fett as well will be wandering around uh, that part of Galaxy's Edge and um, the Razor Crest. They said that they might actually have the Razor Crest there as well. James, I thought you were going to talk about um, Grogu Pains. Did you watch Grogu Pains on Twitter? Grogu? What the hell is Grogu Pains? So it's on it's on um, a few of the websites, but they've they've redone the um, the title sequence for. Well, they've made a title sequence for The Mandalorian in the format of a '90s sitcom oh. called Grogu Pains. So if you haven't seen that, I I implore you to go check that out. I'm not going to say anything else because it's perfect. Oh, okay, um, I have not seen that. But yeah, Mando reimagined as a sitcom trailer under the title Grogu Pains, which is... Um, that sounds delightful. Yeah, a little bit of reprise for this week, I think. Oh, that sounds great, yeah. There was other Mandalorian news, which I thought was it put everything into perspective. Did you see this? Which is that in the, in the uh, last week of... December of last year, Nielsen, the the American ratings kind of uh, organization that works out what the most watched shows are each week, that more people watched the American office, old episodes of the American office on Netflix than watched the Mandalorian, the new episodes Mm. of the Mandalorian, just to put into perspective um, that sometimes shows that we think are global worldwide phenomena that everyone is watching. In fact, more people are watching old episodes of the office from about 10 years ago (laughs) uh, on Netflix, partly because the the American office has left Netflix and that's a massive deal because it's one of the biggest shows that old shows that people watch and it's going to Peacock, NBC's um, streaming service. But I thought that was quite interesting and a salutary lesson in in viewing figures. Is the American office similar in tone to the British office? I mean, is it is, is yeah. it still heavily steeped in Fremdscheimen? Absolutely, but it, it because it you know there are famously only um, what 12, 13 episodes of the English office. Yeah. Whereas there are um, hundreds, Loads. And hundreds of episodes <laughs> of the US office. It became its own thing very much and became. In fact, I saw Chris Hewitt only this morning tweeted about uh, one of his all time favorite episodes of it. So he's clearly doing a rewatch. Um, uh, it, it became its own brilliant thing, which mm. which definitely had the flavour, the essential flavour, yeah, of excruciating um, social faux pas and embarrassment. But it was all about, you, you got to know those characters so well that I think it probably went beyond. I think you'd find it easier to watch 
put it that really? way. Yeah, oh, I avoided absolutely. it because I thought that I wouldn't be able to get through it. Well, the first, I think the problem was the first season for them, they tried desperately to replicate the British yeah. office and That's then right. it just started to splinter off. And then they really lent into um, Steve Carell's character, made him far more affable, far more likable, gave him a love interest. Yes. And then everyone else became lovable in their own rights. And I mean, John Krasinski's in it, you know, it's this kind of flubby, flubby, <laughs> oh, God, yeah. lovely boy, you know, and then it just grows into this like very lovely series that grew legs all on its own it's 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 really good fun i know you're anti-comedy but i don't yeah. care <laughs> <laughs> quite right i'm getting increasingly interested in the dexter revival because clancy brown oh, has joined yeah. the cast of that as the sort of what looks to be the sort of villainous character. So he's being described as the unofficial mayor of the small town of Iron Lake. Uh, and he's gone from being a truck driver like his dad to owning trucks in a local truck shop and being the mayor. Uh, and he, but he's a man you should never cross. Uh, and I fully expect him to end up under Dexter's plastic at some point during the course of this 10 part revival show. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, Brin's Got Talent's been put back, the filming. You're going to be devastated. Oh, no. Yeah, um, Britain hasn't got talent. Surely, no, at this it hasn't. Point. No, at least Brit the Britain's got talent. The, the talent's been delayed. Yeah, because um, it's it, it, of all shows to film. I think production on you know scripted shows has been is carries on, doesn't it? Even during the current lockdown, but BGT because it's reliant on people coming into audition from all over the country, all over the world, yeah. in fact, and has hundreds of people working on it. They've had to postpone that. I know that's not core um, core pilot TV podcast values, James. But Why aren't they doing it over Zoom, Boyd? Why aren't they doing that? Um, they, to some extent, they did. They, they had the audience on Zoom. They had hundreds and hundreds of people on Zoom in a kind of big video wall, which huh. was a bit weird in the, in the, when they did the semi, live semifinals and finals. So... But they can't do the whole thing on Zoom. That would just be awful. <laughs> yes. God forbid that Britain's Got Talent become awful. Um, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Did you hear uh, David E. Kelly's been talking a little bit about Big Little Lies, kind of a bit of a non-update. He hasn't ruled out there being a third season of Big Little Lies. At the moment, he's just saying everyone's a little bit busy. Nicole Kidman in particular has about eight different projects yeah. on the go at the moment. Uh, but he said they all love it. They love the characters. They'd certainly not given up on the idea of bringing it back. But no concrete plans. We also we got a trailer for Search Party season four this week, which ruined all of season three for me because we still haven't had season three over in the UK, <laughs> to my knowledge. And so it kind yeah. of landed in my lap on Twitter. And there's uh, Alia Shawcat's character with a shaved head chained up by some stranger. And so I might as well just not bother now. So that's that's ticked me off no end. Boyd, you know, forget yeah. this is when I ask you, Boyd, when are we getting this? Boyd, when no, are you're getting... right. It's annoying. <laughs> it's, it's on it's on HBO uh, Max, isn't it, in, yeah. in the States? And it is one of many, but that I think it's one of the most egregious examples of an HBO Max revival of a really, of a brilliant show that we haven't, we aren't getting. We don't know when we're going to mm. get it or which, which, who's going to, who's going to require it. It's really irritating. Yeah. Where did yeah. the early seasons air of that? They were on, weren't they on E4, I think? Um, they were on remember. four, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you could buy them on Amazon, and now they've just they've vanished, which is such a shame because I think it's it's one of the best kind of swipes at millennials that I've seen. Um, it was great. Yeah. It, uh, at surface level, it sounds like something James would hate, just like satirical millennial like oh, yeah. murder mystery. Yeah, I didn't like the first one. It can be said. Um, but I loved it. But this is the peril, isn't it, of the kind of modern streaming era we live in, is that you never really own anything. And just because something's on a service, one day it will be gone and then you no longer have it, which is why we still need physical media, even though DVD players can only be found in museums. <laughs> As is my understanding. Right, I believe that is it for the current affairs, given that we recorded a podcast scant days ago and covered off the news there anyway. Um, let's move on then to this week's reviews. And first up this week, we have the return of what is arguably the best show on Apple TV that is not C. Or the morning show. Uh, it is, of course, M. Night Shyamalan and Tony Bazgallop's servant. Uh, Rupert Grint, Lauren Ambrose and Toby Kebbell return with Nell Tiger Free as Leanne, the demon nanny, who vanished in a <laughs> swirl of cultists and creepy events at the end of season one, leaving the situation with baby Jericho looking even more complicated than it was before. And that is saying something. Now, this has got creepiness. This has got freakiness. This has got leprosy. Everything, really, <laughs> is in the show's second season. And I'm pretty sure Terry is going to be absolutely cock-a-hoop about this coming back. But the question, Beth, the question is, are you? I think that you're right. This was, I mean, it's not saying too much to say that this is one of the best shows that Apple's put out because they've put out, <laughs> to my knowledge, about what, five shows that I've watched. Um, 
I thought this was a really ambitious first season. I think it said a lot of really interesting things about class and motherhood. And I really love Rupert Grint in this. And I really love Toby Kebbell in this. But I think so... M. Night Shyamalan, he's, he's gone on record and said he reckons he can squeeze about 60 episodes out of this show. And wow. uh, watching the first, I watched the first two episodes of this season, you can really bloody tell that's what he's trying to do. They were so slow. They were so <laughs> slow. And I know, I know I go into anything that he does with the mindset that you're inevitably going to get more questions than answers out of it. You know, the, the, the answers come at the very, very, very end. But if I've got away 60 episodes to find out what the hell is going on with this baby, I don't think I can do it. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, you have this degree of patience, but, uh, but he's testing me at the moment. Um, also, I am going to say right now, do not watch the first episode when you're having your dinner. Don't do it. Is one of the most disgusting scenes in that first episode. And I've watched a, an episode of The Great this week where they gouge the eyeballs out of multiple heads at a dinner scene. This this was one of the most disgusting things I've seen in years. In Do you want to know? Years. I literally did watch that while I was eating dinner. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it was Oh, oh God. God. Um, but even that didn't pique my interest enough to, to want to watch anything past these these two episodes i don't think it's just it's not rewarding enough for me anymore i think it would take a lot for me to to bring this background again also Nell tiger free barely in it um she's sort of shown through different i won't go to it too much but she sort of shows up in sort of different mediums there's there's sort of the the beginnings of some interesting stuff there but it is just moving at a snail's pace at this stage and it's offering nothing especially new from what we've seen in the first season um, so yeah, I think, I think this might be the end of my, my love affair with this. Interesting. Interesting. So it's, it's, it, it, this has always been quite a slow burn show and as you're right, that's a very shaman thing, but I think it's what really sets this apart for me. Isn't so much the narrative, it's the mood. Like it's very much the atmosphere of this show. It has such a creepy, strange sort of skewed look at the world. And it, and it walks that line, that brilliant line between is this real? Is this supernatural? Or is it not? And, it, and I love the fact that they managed to draw that out. And you're still not entirely sure whether it's supernatural or whether it's not, or even quite what's going on, because there's a real element of unreliable narration from everyone in this. Mm. And I like that all the characters are quite twisted, from Grint's character to Lauren Ambrose's character to Kevill's character. None of them are really very likable. And weirdly, this is a show that should fundamentally fail my Belen test, because all of them, <laughs> apart from possibly baby Jericho... <laughs> fail my test outright and yet there's something quite compelling about them and i don't know whether it's because of the situation they're in which they continually make worse for themselves or just like as a psychological study of grief and psychosis but but i'm there's the thing with this is i'm always fascinated to know what's going to happen next and there's always that sense of like prickling unease at the back of your neck all the way through mm. it. even when they're just even when he's like just chopping eels or doing something really mundane there's something underlying how, many, how often do you I chop eels say, how <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the mundanity of eel chopping. As, <laughs> as I'm going to go do that next. On the lunchtime, Jesus. as one goes and chops the heads off some eels, as we all do every day. Gosh. Yes, the mundanity of eel chopping is clearly is an that Jesus Diet lifestyle? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but genuinely, like, I love the fact that they managed to make everything about this sinister. Rupert Grint goes down to the basement to get a bottle of wine. It's really fucking sinister. Yeah. Everything about this really is. I've watched, I think, the first four episodes of this. And again, I just can't stop. I just, it's really fucking freaky and I think it's great. But I know what you mean. It's its its not the most uh, rapid show on television. I, I agree with you, James, actually. And funnily enough, I, I think I can um, reveal what, um, that I've had been having discussions with Terry about this behind, behind. Um, so oh, she behind, absolutely loves it, doesn't she? Well, except I think Terry's reviewing it, Terry's reviewing Empire will be out, um, I presume, at the end of the month. Um, mm. You'll see what she thinks. But she pointed out we we're talking about when we were, when we were watching this, the new season um episodes she was saying how much more conventional um this series is than the first and i think what and i think she's right i think it, it does i think the first one felt really particularly the m night shamlin episodes i think he directed the opening episode and the yeah. ninth episode which was jericho which was was the showed you the horrific origins of what happened to jericho the baby um and even the ones who didn't direct, there was an intensity to it visually 
And partly it is that quite slow pace, actually. I think almost deliberately, like stretching out of time, and 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 the the food, the the intercutting <laughs> yeah. of the eel chopping, and whatever food um, he's presenting, this this brilliantly um, poncy chef um, is, is is making was w- made it feel really weird and creepy and unique. And I think series season two, certainly in the early stages, feels much more conventional. It feel it doesn't feel feel to me. It's still got as as best pointed out it's still got the slow pace but i felt somehow in the way it's shot and the way it's and and um i don't think m night Shyamalan ducks episode four and for me that was when episode four i also watched the, those four episodes is when it really came together for mm. me so i was slightly disappointed to start with i think with season two and it, it felt like a much more a much more as i say conventional routine kind of tv show but then i think it does absolutely remind you in episode four of the horrible nasty creepiness and, I, and you're right everything everything that happens in that episode you're like oh my god what the fuck is going on um <laughs> and it really i'm absolutely massively hooked all over again um and i can i can't wait to find out how it all all turns out even though it is very slow and is quite but i think it's just established its own tone and its own mood and at its best i think i absolutely love it and i do think the characters are very very smartly drawn i think rupert green is the best thing he's ever done i think he's fantastic (laughs) he's great is this kind of really fundamentally unpleasant kind of druggy (laughs) drinky he's always got a glass of wine in his hand i don't think he's ever not drinking in this show um the the Ponzi chef husband, really brilliantly done by Tony Kebble, to, uh, Toby Kebble, Tony, his brother, Tony Kebble, Tony Kebble, <laughs> Lauren Ambrose, extraordinary because as Lauren Ambrose, quite extraordinary, is extraordinary boy, extraordinary, extraordinary. Your favorite word, <laughs> she is because she's essentially playing quite a, you know, it could be quite a kind of stereotyped kind of mad woman in the attic type of yeah. character who's going getting madder and madder as time goes on. She gets really bonkers, even more bonkers in season two, doesn't she? There's a, there's a mm, TV broadcast, right. which is yeah. just so surreal. Exactly. Nightcore. Hilarious. To, and I like that really dark, twisted um, nature of all of the characters. They're all absolutely mm. sick and twisted and perverse and bonkers. And I love that. And I think, and it's best, the whole tone of it is twisted and weird and sick. And and nothing I, you, nothing is higher praise than that from me. So I, I am really enjoying it all over again, even though I was, I was disappointed, I have to say, to start with. But it's absolutely turned it around already for me by episode four. Damn it, Boyd. All right, you're bringing me, you're bringing me back in. <laughs> yeah, you've got to carry on, you've got to carry on. All right, they played sure that. That line, don't they, that Brian Fuller did so well in Hannibal, that line between sort of revulsion and, yeah. you know, almost delight. And they do it through food in the same way, where you go from mm. seeing something that looks absolutely delicious and they'll juxtapose it with something so horrific and stomach-churning. And then they they blur the two things together so you're not quite sure whether yeah. you're hungry or you want to vomit. And it's just, it's very... Yeah. It's very, very upsetting in places. I mean, there's yeah. placenta, what? isn't it? He's, he's yes, yeah, placenta. There is. Yeah. Was there placenta yeah. popcorn tower or oh. something outrageous <laughs> like that? <laughs> So good. Oh. Yeah, I just think also, also, if for nothing else, this second season totally had me uh, when there is talk of a pizza restaurant called Jesus Crust. And yeah. Really, you know, yeah. if for nothing else, watch it for that. Yeah, and you're right by the the, the supernatural thing. You're so right. The, the stretching out, the drawing out of is is it supernatural or not? I think I think again without spoiling, I think it does resolve that question there's a thing that happens but it's so subtle mm. almost actually but that, all the way through, we thought it was solved at yeah. the end of season one because it's done so subtly and then you just start to doubt yourself yeah, right, like there's a, right there's a real sort of gaslighting element yeah. it's like, oh did i see that was yeah. that real was that yeah, not it's I'm a coincidence the thing that happens is happening just at the time it should happen if this was supernatural yeah and that's what they do so well i think yeah yeah it's it's very very good um servant then returns to apple tv plus on friday the 15th next up we have ITV's new murder mystery, The Pembrokeshire Murders. This is a true crime adaptation going back to a series of murders committed in Wales in the 80s. Luke Evans stars in this one as Detective Superintendent Steve Wilkins, who reopens a series of cold cases in 2006 when he starts to suspect that the attacks A, might be linked, and B, the perpetrator might already be in custody and look an awful lot like Keith Allen. Boyd, uh, what did you make of the Pembrokeshire murders? (laughs) I have to say, right, so the Keith Allen element, (laughs) <laughs> it's such a key thing for me because so really fundamentally this is a fair you know this is a classic um true crime i mean uh, pretty much now i would i don't think it's any exaggeration to say itv is 
pretty much giving us a new true crime drama every month, mm. I would say, more or less. It feels like that anyway. You know, Des we had last year. Um, I mean, I can't even list how the different ones the Welsh. I think Des was the best, wasn't it? Because yeah. the way it concentrated on Dennis Nielsen after all his crimes and then focused on the investigation and the relationship between him and the journalist who, who wrote his story, etc. This one similarly is about the aftermath of crimes. And it's about how Luke Evans's character um, looks into this cold case of these um, crimes that happened that for which clearly um, Keith Allen's character is responsible. Um, John Cooper, who ends up being who ends up being a serial killer, that but it only becomes clear years after the event of the, orig of the original crimes are connected and because and and were committed by him, so it's not really a who done in. It's not. It's 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 a kind of it's a fairly straightforward, really, account of how the cold case was reopened, how this um, detective, real life detective played by Luke Evans, got looked at all the evidence again, got a team together in secret to kind of um, find out which which elements of the evidence they could go and get tested for DNA and which they couldn't, and how he kind of cleverly put pressure on um, uh, Keith, the, the John Cooper character played by Keith Allen, who was in prison for other crimes, to kind of flush him out almost. Um, mm. And it's really interesting, but it's, it's kind of fairly straightforwardly told. And I think... You know, often the question with these with these types of shows is if you're telling a fairly recent true crime story, you know, you have to do it in a in a tasteful, non-exploitative manner. And I think it does that. But because mm. Keith Allen is playing <laughs> the serial killer, and there's something about Keith Allen that, that it always makes me laugh, um, be entertained. He's an incredibly entertaining <laughs> performer. That it's you're like, oh my God, it's Keith Allen. There's one moment where they ha they re they have these paintings portraits of <laughs> the killer and his wife. Do you, you know what I mean? And it's Keith Allen with this Ross. massive frizzy hair. It's almost like afro, <laughs> and it, and it's just comical. And you're like, I felt guilty for finding the comedy in a dark true life true crime story that is real and is not you know fairly recent and is very tastefully done but i'm sorry if you're going to cast keith allen you're then going to recreate a painting of him from you know the 70s or whatever with massive ludicrous hair then you're going to have moments where it is unfortunately um uh, unintentionally amusing but it's 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 a classy show i think um luke evans it's good to see luke evans doing a very mm. straight down the line role. He's totally convincing. Obviously, it's it's good for him, a, a Welsh actors to play Welsh characters. Indeed. And um, I'm, 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 and it's a fascinating story. So um, I'm already halfway through episode two. It's a three-parter. I'll definitely yeah. watch it to the end. And I'm fascinated to know how it all plays out. Best. Yeah, it's a very, it is a very like straight down the middle show. I found Keith's performance a little bit hammy, but not intentionally, as you say, but also just because the surrounding show is so subdued and really trying not to move into being exploitative. I mean, they could have shown, you know, reenactments of the crimes, which were obviously incredibly grisly. And they, you know, they chose to swerve around that completely and just focus on, on the human side, as you said, James, like the aftermath of these crimes and, and how people are, are kind of working with the aftermath. I, I love Luke Evans. I do, but he is a, movie style looking man do you know what i mean he falls in the category yeah. of what i call like <laughs> astronaut like cowboy like he's so attractive he's so handsome it was a little bit distracting for me and i think <laughs> you know the next thing he's in he the, the next tv show he's in is this thing called nine perfect stranger with sort of like nicole kidman one of her like eight nine projects she's got and michael shannon <laughs> he's he's a hollywood actor and it just feels I know he's Welsh and I think it is, you're completely right, they should be putting Welsh actors in, in Welsh parts, absolutely. But it was just, he was almost a little bit too glamorous to be carrying around, you know, polystyrene boxes of fish and chips. It was just, yeah. it just felt <laughs> a little bit. It, it doesn't help that he's in his pants in the first scene. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, it does, and it doesn't. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, that, was, that was it for me, really. But I, yeah, I do like that they've, they've played it straight. I think a lot of times... You know, shows tend to be quite titillating when it comes down to, to serial killers or glamorizing it. In fact, and it was quite nice to see a straight portrayal of this. Yeah, no, I agree. I, it's very compelling. I really enjoyed this. And, and Jenny, and given the subject matter, that seems an odd thing to say, but it is. There's something about this which is just it's really enjoyable watch. And I, and I, you know, the unintentional humor aside, you know, it. I think Luke Evans really 
I know what you mean. I think he definitely is weirdly sort of a movie star looking for the part of a Welsh superintendent running around Pembrokeshire. <laughs> but nevertheless, I think he really carries it. He's massively charismatic. Mm. And I think he really carries all the scenes he's in. I found him absolutely compelling in this. Really, really enjoyed it. I also enjoyed they had an excellent line in forensic montages, which I very much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, these little sort of spliced together bits and they're poking this and they're taking DNA off that. But yeah, I, I thought this was really good. Only three parts is a really tight story. Uh, it's not flabby at all and you know the fact that I know I always think like with true crime stuff it's like on the one hand you kind of know how it ends but on the other hand that it does add a kind of a layer to it where you it's almost like a voyeuristic layer to it where knowing that these things really happened and how they transpired you know dramatized or not does does give it a certain something extra so yeah I'm I'm, I'm enjoying ITV's current uh, current output of, of, of true crime shows mm. I think the test because it, it really makes you want to I, I, I immediately go to um, Wikipedia and check the re- the truth yes. of the yeah, real yeah. story as I did and with I th- theirs yeah, as well yeah. mm. and, 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 it, and I think it you know, that reflects how interesting, how intriguing the story yeah. is, really. Mm. Well, Des, I mean, we all kind of, I think we all had kind of a vague recollection of mm. Dennis Nielsen and what he did. I mean, this this I, I knew ne- nothing no, about same, until yeah. I looked it up. But The Pembrokeshire Murders starts on ITV on January the 11th at 9pm. Also out this week, we have Briar Patch, which aired in the US last February and sees Rosario Dawson as Allegra Dill. She's a DC investigator who heads back to her hometown of San Bonifacio, Texas, after her sister, who's a local cop, is killed by a car bomb. Needless to say, all is not as it seems, and there is a web of corruption for her to unravel. Uh, this show was cancelled, actually, after its first season. That said, it is, or was, conceived of an anthology show, so it should be kind of self-contained, so you don't need to worry about not knowing what happened at the end. Beth, were you taken in by Briar Patch? Uh, yes and no. A helpful answer. Um, yes, very much on the basis of Rosario Dawson, who I define as God tier. Um, <laughs> she is she is incredible. Uh, and I, I was very much here for her in this as this kind of detective in these um, AOC power pantsuits walking around town. Um <laughs> walking around like her hometown and she's very elusive she's very charismatic um she's incredibly watchable uh the rest of the show i'm not sure quite some of it did some of it didn't quite meet her so it's this this idea of this kind of kitsch noir very aesthetic very like lushly composed murder mystery the premise has been done to death so as soon as i saw you know oh this like hardened mysterious cop coming back to her hometown to solve a crime i mean that's been done so much before the show it's been done so much since so the show aired in february last year didn't it um so a lot's happened since then as well she's a police detective she's got a, a white character in this calling her a pig which i'm sure was meant to be quite kooky at the time obviously hasn't aged very well now um it looks great it's well paced i think in terms of like twists and turns i think they drop that at just the right amount of time just when you start to feel it lull they drop in a little something extra that piques your interest usually about her uh in this but yeah it, it just it didn't quite meet her and her performance all the time but again as i say i put her on an absolute pedestal so that might not necessarily be the fault of the show yeah she's brilliant she i mean the reason to watch is her uh, isn't Mm. it and 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 just the whole idea of her playing a a kind of film noir-esque uh heroine detect kind of essentially working as a detective in a way like investigating what happened to to her sister and what what, who did it effectively i thought it's really interesting it's a great idea it reminded me the whole tone of it the slightly um contrived weirdo Mm. tone like with giraffes walking around and (laughs) a lion or tiger you know popping up and eating the with like insect insects everywhere and all that do you remember the film The Paperboy with um, Zac ah, Efron and Matthew McConaughey yes. that absolutely crazy film Lee Daniels film which was based on a novel by Pete Dexter which was about a guy going back to his hometown to investigate a, a, a weird crime and yeah. had a really self-consciously creepy weirdy, weird tone to it it reminded me of that just visually and just, and just in the kind of self-conscious oddness of it all and I don't mind self-conscious oddness um you know, again, a bit Twin Peaksy, but 
I felt like you could slightly feel all the all the you could feel like the writers kind of really reaching to make all the characters a bit eccentric and a bit yeah. um oddball. Every single person she meets is like somehow freaky. Yeah. And that's fine, but I think it's a really difficult line to, to tread, isn't it? I think it, doing that whereby you're believing in it and you're believing these these characters exist and you're going along with the weirdness is is fine. But I think this one I just felt it was all a bit self-conscious about it. I mean, incredible cast on top mm. Rosario Dawson, Kim Dickens, who I love in everything. Alan Cumming pops up, David Payne, Ed Asner. Like every character is played by someone really, really good and interesting, an interesting character actor. I think there is a reason why it didn't, why it was cancelled because <laughs> I just think it doesn't quite feel authentic. It feels slightly like worked over and, you know, we really want to make this in, in this whole thing eccentric and weird and we're really going to um, try hard at it. So it does feel a bit try hard to me, but it's worth watching for her because she's, she's brilliant. She's very good. I mean, the whole thing's based on a Ross Thomas novel this, this first season. I think the idea was to tell other stories within this slightly kooky, crazy, odd world, uh, which now clearly isn't mm. going to happen. But I know what you mean. Like, it feels like they're straining for absurdity in every scene. Like, they're looking for oddness. They're looking for kook. And I found that a little bit tiresome. Like, initially, I thought, wow, you know, this has got a really interesting vibe to it. It's hypnotic. It's kind of like a hard-boiled mystery, and it has that real atmosphere to it. And it's slightly skewed and surrealist. And as you said, Boyd, like, it, 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 you know, it had a mild Twin Peaksian tone to it. Um, the thing is, the mystery behind it all I found just not very compelling or particularly well told. Like, I, I was there for the characters, I was a little bit there for the kook, certainly at first, but I was just like, this this is not particularly enthralling from a sort of pure narrative point of view. And as I say, I, I got... I got very bored of the fact that every new character had to be demented in some yeah. way, that no one could mm. just be normal. Yeah. Weirdly, I found her to be the opposite. Like, while Rosario Dawson is fantastic, Allegra herself is quite flat and inscrutable. Mm. And mm. so I found her quite hard to engage with and everyone else just baffling. And I, <laughs> I watched the first two of these, you know, because they, they do have a tendency to, to, to end episodes on cliffhangers, so you do get drawn in. So I watched actually the first two and a bit episodes. But... Um, yeah, I did, again, I just felt a bit tired and I thought, I don't really care how this ends and it's a little bit outstated welcome in terms of tone for me. So mm. no, I'm, I think I'm, I'm out of the briar patch, as it were, <laughs> as Br Br Rabbit might have said. The showrunner for this was Andrew Greenwood and he was the producer on Legion. So I feel mm. like if you mm. want a hit of like absurdity <laughs> and great aesthetic and fantastic performances, just watch Legion. Oh, Legion yeah. was a lot to do with as well, wasn't it? It was. Like, I didn't make it all the way through that either. That was that was just <laughs> <laughs> Legion. Still famously was the episode where I came into the podcast going, it was just so audacious the way this the whole episode was like silent for the first ten minutes, and like <laughs> as if the character was dead. But it was just because I didn't have my fucking headphones plugged in. <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell. Because it might have been silent. I thought, wow, this is incredibly bold television. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the thing is that's the kind of show where it really wouldn't surprise you if they'd literally done that which is quite yeah, absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah oh yeah. god anyway anyway uh that is briar patch and it does land on alibi on wednesday january the 13th at 9 p.m also out this week, we have ITV's Finding Alice. And this stars Keely Hawes as the eponymous Alice, whose partner of 20 years falls down the stairs and dies, leaving a trail of secrets and closet-dwelling skeletons for her to uncover. Uh, this was a late addition, so only Boyd has seen it. Boydie, is this one worth Beth and I catching up with? Uh, yes, basically. Um, it's interesting because it's Keely Hawes co-created it um, herself with the writers. Uh, and they are Simon Nye and Roger Goldby, who she'd worked with previously on The Durrells, I'm sure one of your favourite shows, um, James, um, <laughs> and uh, various other things. The Durrells, was a, by the way, is was a re was one of the best ever examples of a, a kind of a pre-watershed ITV Sunday night, you know, kind of eight o'clock show that was kind of family friendly, but was really well done. It was a really it was an, it was an excellent show. So don't hold that against it. it should be, it's, uh -huh. it's a it's a plus that she's created the show with these guys. Um, and as you say, the very first scene really is this where it's her husband 
unveils this his kind of life's work, which is this massive lavish house, smart house, where everything is, you know, you can clap your clap your hands and the and the curtains open in theory. Um, <laughs> she can't find the fridge. That's it. She has a kind of almost a, a, the first scene like a, like a breakdown because she can't find where the fucking fridge is in this ridiculously over-designed, elaborate house. <laughs> and in the very first scene, he's showing her and his, and their daughter this brilliant house that, he, that he's devoted clearly years and years of his life to. And then he dies. He falls down. It, you, she discovers him at the, at the at the bottom of the stairs, dead. And it's an open staircase without a railing. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of the script referring to the fact that you know you shouldn't have a fucking railing on this on these stairs. But because it's part of a spectacularly designed house, he didn't. And then it turns out that. His death isn't as straightforward as you as you think, as, as as James said in his description. Everyone's got kind of secrets in their in their closet, but it's kind of like a really interesting mix of mystery because the, there is you know the big thing that's going to keep you watching is the mystery of what the fuck happened to to the husband. Why did he Why did he fall down the stairs? Did he fall down the stairs? Was he pushed? Blah blah blah. And um, there's the police are investigating because it is weird and a kind of really interesting character study of this woman who didn't realise what was happening with her husband and half her family treats her really weirdly. So her parents are played by Joanna Lumley and Nigel Havers. And Joanna Lumley, her mum, is really horrible to her from the start. (laughs) Like, even on the day, like the day she's found out her husband dies, her mum is like, doesn't give a flying shit, apparently, and is weirdly horrible and nasty. And then you've got um, the husband's uh, parents, played by Gemma Jones and Kenneth Cranham, who are also kind of weird and odd. Her her sister-in-law, played by Sharon Rooney, who's brilliant. Also, everyone, everyone in it is a bit, is behaving kind of not, they're not eccentric like in Briarpatch. They're just behaving quite weirdly. But I think it, it feels, it rings absolutely true because it's part of it, I think, is about how in grief and when people die suddenly, that people do start behaving in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And I think its depiction of that is really smart and clever. So I absolutely am going to carry on watching this. And I think it's a big deal for ITV. So yeah, it starts next Sunday, uh, nine o'clock on ITV. And I think they're going to put it all on the ITV hub um, uh, because it's like a, okay. it's a potential good binge. Yeah. Mm. Okay, good to know. Well, that is Finding Alice. Also out this week is WandaVision, which replaces The Mandalorian as Friday's appointment viewing on Disney+. Plus. This is the, the first of Marvel's string of new TV shows, and it does look entirely bonkers. Uh, unfortunately, it's also entirely under wraps, and we weren't allowed to see it this far in advance. Thank you, Disney. Uh, so you will have to find out what we thought of that one next week, but it does air on Friday. Also out this week, the third season of American Gods lands on Amazon uh, on Monday, January the 11th, which is, you know, today. Uh, So that is exciting if you are still watching American Gods, which, let's be honest, none of us are. Anything else, Boyd? Pandora's Uh, back on sci-fi. This cannot be the case. Yeah, I think so. Coming back on Thursday, January the 14th. This must be Pandora season two. We reviewed Pandora last year. It was not good. And this is coming from me. And this is absolutely my bag. And I thought it was terrible. But uh, there you go. Yeah, I agree. Um, But you're right. The 157th season of The Simpsons starts on Sky One on Friday. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, Two Dope Queens, which is supposed to be a really good um, uh, comedy show. Yeah, that arrives on Sky Comedy tomorrow, Tuesday the 12th, um, Sky Comedy and Now TV. They're great. Yeah, yeah, they're really good um, uh, comedians and they've got their own show. I think that's probably about it. I think that's the main stuff, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What then? What then is our pick of the week? Servant, absolutely. Get to episode four. You're like and, Tiny uh, Tim, boy. You're like the, the Tiny Tim of Servant. <laughs> <laughs> what was your pick of the week, Beth? Oh, it was a tough one this week. I'll go with with Briar Patch just for Rosario Dawson and her AOC power suits. But I, do you know what? You've, you've changed my mind. I'm going to go back and watch the other two episodes and see where I get on with with Servant. It's the power of pilot. Get to four. Make get a call four. then. All right. Uh, yes, Servant is almost certainly mine as well. Although I did love the Pembrokeshire murders as well. There's something about mm. that, that I really enjoyed. I'm finding out uh, is really good, to be fair. Oh, good week. Mm. A good week indeed. Uh, and that is it then for this episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. As ever, we will happily find a home for your five-star ratings over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and you can reach each of us on social media at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. Beth, is there anywhere else we can find you? Are you terrorising any other TV services with tell-all <laughs> expose documentaries? Not this week. <laughs> but Good no. to know. 
<laughs> no, not that, but I do co-run a fantastic uh, feminist film collective called the Bechdel Test Fest. Um, we're obviously not doing screenings at the moment, but we do champion women in film all the live long year round. So you can find us at Bechdel Test Fest on all our social media. Are you open to a spin-off podcast called the Bellend Test Fest? Is that something that we could maybe look at? <laughs> I think there's enough Bellend content in this podcast to dominate <laughs> yeah. the whole of 2021. I mean, that so... <laughs> That's our whole USP. Yeah. yeah, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, the uh, the Belen Test Fest will be back next week when, among other things, we'll be getting to see Russell T. Davis' exciting new series, It's a Sin, which is coming to Channel 4, and Russell himself will be joining us on the show to tell us all about that and, let's be honest, very possibly why I'm wrong about Doctor Who. Until then, though, pilot out.